conference. Ken? Hello. Ken? Hello. <laughs> Where is he? Where's our guest? Did you text him? Hi, this is Ken. Hey. Thanks, guys. I appreciate your patience. I'm, uh, I'm happy to open up the Failure Podcast with my failure to be here on time. There you go. Our work here is done. So Ken, tell us tell us your background. Who 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 are, who are you? you? Sure. Uh, so I'm Ken Briota, uh, currently the editorial director for IoT Evolution, as Mark was so uh, kind enough to plug for me already, uh, where we we write about and cover technology. Um, I've been a writer and uh, a journalist for 20 years or so now. Um, I'm a poet and an actor and. Uh, uh, erstwhile novelist. Um, I'm also a, a performer and storyteller and sometimes a pirate, depending on uh, whether or not you're asking the MPAA or uh, local shipping lanes. Okay, hold so, on. Uh, People, so hold on one second. Um, somebody complained to me, one of our failures, yes. was that they didn't know who we were. So you uh, are. I am Mark Thurman. I am not a pirate, nor do I play one on TV. <laughs> but you do have a funny-looking patch over your eye. I should. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so that's who I am. And I'm a... Um, I'm, in fact, I'm none of the things that Ken described himself as. Yeah, neither I'm not a poet. a poet. I'm not a storyteller. I'm not particularly witty. No. Um, although I'm not sure Ken you... used the word witty about himself. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a lover. I'm a fighter. Oh, oh no. What, what, uh, what <laughs> I'm is... a midnight toker. Yeah, oh, wait a minute. That's, uh, that's Steve Miller. Um, Steve Miller, right, right, right. So I'm Dave Pausner, and I am neither a toker, a joker, nor a midnight nice. smoker. Okay. There we Sorry. go. Okay. <laughs> With that said, why is Ken on this podcast? Um, Ken is on this podcast because I think he's got, a, and he kind of alluded to it. Aside from the technology interest, which is always, my, I'm always happy to go uh, take a take a walk down nerd lane. Uh, but he's got a, a you know a, a different background. He uh, attests to some failure in his life. Really, and. Um, <laughs> He's also on the podcast because he was kind enough to invite me to his. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. I fig I figure turnabout's fair play. Yep, got that. But uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I sincerely hope that uh, I treated you half as well as you folks have been treating me already. Uh, th uh, thus on, far, it's roughly it's roughly forty percent as well. Okay. Oh, good, good, good. So, so let's <laughs> do something unusual, which is we typically go through this long run up before we get to failure. Let's just get straight into it with, with Ken. So Ken, tell us about some failures that our audience might be interested in, <laughs> our audience of one might be interested in. Well, well, as I may have mentioned, uh, I am a writer and, uh, and have been an actor and involved in the theater many times, both, both of which are uh, defined if by nothing else than by failure. Um, the, 
the the cliche amongst writers is that the best ones are failures in their own life and only get recognized later. Uh, so we we all endeavor to have that that deep uh, existential ennui uh, within ourselves uh, to someday be recognized for our own self uh, understood greatness since nobody else will right now. Right. Okay. Um, and your point is, <laughs> but, and my, my point is that, uh, that's largely, uh, stupid <laughs> because, <laughs> what? <laughs> be, uh, which, which we writers often are also, uh, because the, the real secret to writing is that failure makes you better. Um, I have, I have written and published poems, you know, over the last 20 years, uh, not nearly as often as I've written them have I published them. And often that's because they weren't any good. And so they, or they weren't good for the audience or the publication that I submitted them to, which is probably uh, the nicer way to put that on my behalf. So I failed in either uh, being good at my craft or uh, marketing it and presenting it to the right uh, audience or publication. So why and is so failure? Why is failure um, so important to writers? And, and in what regard is it important? Is it important that uh, that you only succeed in publishing one out of ten, or are you saying that anybody who hasn't experienced failure can't be a good writer because they can't empathize with with the common man or whoever the audience is? <laughs> I would I would flip that on its head. I'd not say that anyone who hasn't experienced failure can't be a good writer. I'd say that every good writer has experienced failure in one way or another. Why is that? Um, Why is that? Because because it, failure is a is a very broad topic. You've been wise in in your choices here because uh, for some uh, writers, ouch, ouch, ouch! My 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 arm and Mark's arms, our arms respectively, hurt from patting ourselves on the back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good. Think think of the success you had at failure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, be, because you know, for some for some folks, and I think this applies not just to fiction or book writers or poets or whoever, anyone who's trying to write something who don't know the goal it. might be publication. It might be, uh, you know, if you're a marketing writer, it might be sales. If you're a journalist, it might be informing and sales. You know, there's a lot of different goals there. And the most of the time, the way you learn the right way to do it is through trial and error. And without that second part, the error, you, you never really uh, incrementally improve. Sure, there's... So there are some people who are naturally talented, but I largely think natural talent is a uh, trap. It's garbage because natural talent is something that's, that's not quantifiable. And I tend to think that, that uh, the subjectivity of things like the written word means that measuring it by an unquantifiable thing is, even more impossible than measuring it to begin with. Mark has I, raised I, I, all I like three it. of his eyebrows. He's trying it's to really understand only one. this. It's one long eyebrow. <laughs> Mark has raised his unibrow. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> well, what the hell did you just I'm say? Saying that I think natural. I think natural talent is 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 a useless thing to even talk about when it comes to almost anything, uh, because natural talent will never be as good as practice. 
Hold on. Wait, Practice wait, wait, and- wait, wait. So, so I think what you're getting at, this is interesting. This is a yet another theory of failure that we haven't come across yet, which is, but it's related to one of it's a corollary, which if, if the prior theory was failure is the natural way of things or put another way, mm-hmm. fa- um, not succeeding or excelling in some manner is the natural way of things. What Ken has said is that that's true of writers and that any writer who's publishing his or her, all of his or her material is either publishing a lot of garbage or has a um, has a has an idiot as a publisher um, or himself or herself. But so, so yeah. are, are we beginning to talk about the Internet of failed things? <laughs> so I think you can shorten that to just the internet. <laughs> See the IOF, the Internet of Failure. So, what is the Internet of Failure? So, you're, is that what you're getting at, though, Ken? Which is that? Yeah, peop- I, I am. I think that I think that the 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 try fail cycle of a writer is very similar to the uh, the writing tool and trope of the try fail cycle for a hero. No, you know, oh. nobody, no, nobody likes a Mary Sue who wins every time they try, and they should fail a bunch before they're allowed to win. And nobody uh, respects a writer who hasn't practiced failure before they've uh, mastered their craft, or at least gotten. So better. equate that with business. So instead of equating a writer to another writer, um, equate mm-hmm. the failure of a writer to the failure of a business. Sure. Uh, I would say that um, the the try-fail cycle, the, the trial and error cycle in business is more about a, a couple of different things. The first being um, knowing the proper... Uh, pain point to address for your, for your clients. And that's, you know, you're going to try to address this pain point and then learn that it's not the one that they're actually concerned with. It's just the one that they say they're concerned with. And so you have to readjust your, your, your product. And the other one is the, the try fail cycle with what your customers want. And that's a constant process. It's probably the more, uh, the more relevant example because the customer base, the consumer base, is constantly changing what they want. And it's impossible to, to sort of say that there's a hard and fast rule. I'd say that that cycle's getting faster and faster and faster. Mark and, raised his unibrow again. No, 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 no. No, can you explain that? Somebody, somebody fill me sure. in on that as I'm I, I think he's just t- he, he's trying to draw a corollary between sort of product development cycles in a sense. Um, at least that's what uh, I was getting in, from it. In the, yeah, the first, in my first example, I was definitely talking about product development cycle. Right. In my second point, I was talking about uh, uh, giving the customers what they want. You know, there's a there's a great, um, I believe it was Bill Gates' quote, where he says that uh, you should never give the customers what they want. You should give the customers what you want them to want. Well, that's sort of a Steve Jobsism, in a sense, too. Because you know, Jobs, well, fam- Jobs probably stole it from Bill Gates. Yes, and I would I would say that Jobs famously. <laughs> Uh, did not believe in product marketing research because he, he was like, what, you know, customer doesn't know what they want until I tell them. Okay, I'm going to persist at this. So I understood Ken's first point um, to be, and, I, and it makes sense, that the, 
that failure is in uh, that failure leads to the natural pivot cycles that we see. That is, you think you know what the customer wants based on market study or guess, and you come out with a product, and it's not what they want. And the conversation that ensues, not the literal one, but the figurative one, leads right. to pivots. It leads to the delivery or introduction of, of a successful product. I still don't get the other one. The second so um, I, corollary. Let me see if I can if I can sort of restate here in that I think that that consumers are getting ever more sophisticated and are ever more and in and accelerating in asking for different things in the products and and uh, deliverables they expect out of companies, not right, just sir. in terms of the actual thing that they're buying, but in terms of the way they buy it and the way that their that they're, uh, companies that they buy from act, you know, corporate responsibility and, and the way that their uh, persona is on the Internet. And, and all these factors that are new are part of the try-fail cycle that those companies have to go through to figure out what their customers want. You know, uh, isn't that uh, the pivot though? Are, he, are you repeating the same point? Isn't that the um, the pivot we talked to figure out what to introduce to begin with? I think that I think that it's it's a similar path in product development, but I think it's um, more a, a more frequent cycle, a, a faster cycle with the marketing and the the customer acquisition piece of it. Well, um, that's that could. They're, they're, can you explain that, Mark? Uh, I, well, I, I want to push back on it a little bit or, or maybe amplify it, maybe not push back. Is that because of what I'd call the MVPification of things? Minimum which is, viable yeah, product-ification. Every, every, yeah, every you know, PowerPoint deck that I sit through talks about getting to MVP and failing fast and all that. And I understand the, the point of failing fast, but have we become too MVP-focused? In, 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 especially in the in the technical world, in the technical products. Um, now you've you've gone afield for me. What do you mean by MVP focused? Um, everything, every every product offering that I'm sort of seeing pitches for. And again, I'm an IoT nerd, so I see a lot of IoT pitches. It's uh, you're not an IOF nerd. No, Internet although affair. I uh, although I did hear. I'll let me take a little aside. So I was on a call with a gentleman from Cisco yesterday, and Cisco uh, kid was a friend of mine. Well, that, no, it's that, a different Cisco. Is that Steve Miller also? No, no, no. This is this actually. It, it may be out of your swim lane, Dave, but oh. I think Ken will pick up on it. <laughs> I was kind of taking him to task on the term Internet of Everything, and he said, "Well, if you're <laughs> if you're a, fa a fan of." 90s, you know, R&B, hip hop. Oh. We, we could be uh, taken to task for the other Cisco, which was a, a R&B star, and and be oh. and be guilty right, of right. coining the Internet of Thongs. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Wow, that is there a we, deep cut. Yes. Uh. So I, I I greatly appreciated his his cultural reference because a I picked up on it. And it got me off the taking them to task for the Internet of Everything phraseology, which I think is terrible. Okay, so I want to go shows back. You what I, shows, shows you what kind of nerd I am. My brain went directly to Captain Cisco of Deep Space Nine. 
Well, oh, there you go. There you go. So wait a minute. So go back. Mark is trying to, we have, this is a very important conversation for failure, the podcast, because we are exploring the nature of failure, though we're like two or three levels deep in this conversation. It's not very deep. Um, So Mark was trying to explain what Ken was trying to explain in response to my question about equating failure of our authors to failure of products or failures of companies. Let me let me kind of go to a a deeper point. So holding the technology aspect aside, my training is as a musician uh, and I'm not going to go into any of that. But Ken, you come at at the arts from a different, you know, from the written uh, form uh, and drama. What is failure for a poet? How do you, when you say you know, we have failures, is it a failure because the poem wasn't, wasn't any good? Is it a failure because nobody read it, nobody bought it, nobody published it? I, I mean, isn't a perfect poem a perfect poem whether not a single soul sees it? <laughs> That's like a tree falling in the forest. Well, it is a tree heard. falling in the forest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is well, a bear the, pooping the, in the, the woods. Pro- the, problem with the, the problem I have with the tree falling in the forest is that it has a scientific answer. Uh, yes, it does make a sound. Sound is just vibration, and that happened when the tree uh, impacted with the ground. Gravity did that. Yes. So that, uh, that, that analogy doesn't work for me. But uh, the, the question you ask is, I think, uh, an impossible one that I'm going to, failure to a- fail to answer here because perfect. there is no such thing as a perfect poem. Uh, uh, and any, any poet who writes them will tell you that. They've never written one, and they never will, and they only stop writing any given poem because they'll go crazy if they don't. What happens if they're a poet and they don't know it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But but failure to a poet is probably a subjective, individual feeling. For me, I consider a poem a failure if it doesn't evoke... Uh, emotion, empathy, or uh, strong feeling in the reader. How would you know? Or in me. How would you know? Well, uh, I, you would know from I, yourself. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't except through feedback or other folks telling me so, uh, or through observation or, or whatever. So that's why I try to publish, is because for me, writing a poem is, or really any larger, even larger than this, in any art form, the pinnacle goal, the key goal is to inspire empathy and emotion in the audience. And if you can do that, if you can make them feel, if you can make them uh, and feel anything, it doesn't even have to be what you intended for them to feel. They, they can feel what they want and they can interpret the art in whatever way they want. The art once presented belongs not to the artist, but to the audience. Um, so why don't you throw out happens, there? You've been a success. Why don't you throw out there, Ken, everything you write, just like Mark and I and the others on this podcast, publish everything we managed to get on so, today. Yeah, because our word vomit is not equivalent to art. There's yeah. no great art in what but, we're but doing. But why don't you publish everything? Because you don't know what, um, you don't know what people might like. Your garbage may be another because, person's poem. Because like any other artist, I am an egomaniac. And... Uh, <laughs> I re- and I refuse to let anybody see anything that I think isn't ready, that I haven't sufficiently manipulated to uh, encourage them to feel what I want them to feel. Okay, so now the, whether or not they feel that is different, but I can't release something to the world until I feel like it is ready to do the mission upon which I'm sent. So, so you're so the artist like is not it. just creator, but also oh, you'll love this, not just creator, but curator. 
Ooh, ooh, how profound. Oh, very nice. I like that. <laughs> well, the, 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 I guess... Like, like, any, like any good artist, I'm going to steal that. Yeah, there you go. But, you know, you, we occasionally watch uh, with, with, the, with our kids uh, some of these fashion shows on TV. Um, mm -hmm. What's the one with uh, Heidi Klum and the other guy? Uh, and they talk about, you know, the clothing designer learning how to edit. You have to edit. You have too many ideas in this in this garment. So I, I by inference, I, I guess in a poem you might have too many ideas, or you have to edit it. So I think it's beyond curation. Sure. I think it's it's being your own editor as well. No, no, that's a different issue. I'll argue that the curation is yeah, maybe at the level of the poem, but I think it's more at the level of the work. We assume the artist is being artistic as he or she edits the work, but once the work is created. You've got to let you've got to let it sit for a day or two. Or in the case of the podcast, we don't do that at all, and then curate it before you let it go out. <laughs> so that would that would. I think I think there's an argument. I think there's an argument to be made that uh, an artist uses their artist portion of their brain in the creation process, and then their craftsman portion of their brain in the editing process, and and sort of says, okay, I'm going to, and there's, you know, this is all grayscale. There's no black and white here, and there's no right way or wrong way to do this, really. But the, the, the initial creation process is uh, blurted out there. Get whatever you're trying to paint or sculpt or write or, or, you know, act out onto the stage. And then through editing and rehearsal, you use the craft of your your skills that you've learned through trying and failing to uh, uh, refine it in your intended direction. And that's how, that's where you start to mix your craft and your art into what I would feel like is a, a respectable final product. And then once the final product is done, do you then curate? In other words, do you then sit on it and decide, you know, and find I, similar pieces of uh, that you've written no, no, more broadly, that you say, you know, that was the best I could do given the, the input I provided to it in my creative process followed by my um, craftsman process. That's the best I can do, and it's still not good enough or it's not worthy of being published in this or at all. So there's a curation stage that follows, or do you put out there everything that is as good as you can do with it given how awful perhaps the initial subject matter was? Once it's as good as I can do with it, okay, so there's probably a, a healthier way to do this and then the way that I do it. Um, <laughs> the healthier way is probably to say, once I've gotten it to as good as I can do, I then give it to someone else. Now, in writing, that would be an editor or a, a beta reader sometimes, if you've got a writing group that you work with or... You know, a trusted other person who also has some skills and is also an audience representative for who you'd intend to eventually uh, consume the thing. And you let them look at it and give you feedback. And yeah. that feedback might make you go back and re-edit, re-curate, re-adjust uh, what you've done because maybe it's not having the outcome you'd like it to have. Maybe it's uh, just uh, offensive or terrible or whatever. And it's not working. So the, that, that process is sort of uh, standard for, at least for writing. Oh, so wait a minute. Um, Let me interrupt you to, quickly. Um, 
in that yeah. process uh, in in business, or at least for a startup or even a well-established company introducing a new product, that would be also a similar course, which is once they came up with either a minimum viable product or a product which is much more developed than a minimum viable product, they would hand it to a test group and allow the test group to provide feedback, which right. could lead to mm -hmm. revision. So that's not yeah. uncommon at all. So that's the so-called conversation. In your case, it might be literal, but in many cases, it's figurative with the, um, with the uh, marketplace. Sure. And then the, the decision becomes, you do that probably a couple of cycles, you, you know, that kind of thing. You're probably editing for almost as long as you're writing on most things, if not longer. And then you can make that decision. Is this ready to go out? Now, at that point, often, if you're in the sort of professional writing space, you've invested so much time and often money into this that if you don't try to publish it, you're really making a bad choice because at the very least, you should get all that work out there. Right. But, you know, sometimes you just didn't get there and every writer's got a couple of books in a drawer or in an attic somewhere that they swear will never see the light of day, but they can't bear themselves to destroy. Okay. But they've just, they're just sitting there. So let's equate that with going back to the beginning of the conversation, which is still... Oh, the Internet of Thongs? No, no, well, not the Internet of Thongs, <laughs> nor the Internet of Failure. Um, but you had equated um, failure of an artist, you had equated it with two things um, in business, and one was um, the failure that leads to the successive... Um, revisions of the work in response to uh, feedback from the beta, uh, from the marketplace, in your mm -hmm. case, the beta readers. Um, as in, right. There was a second aspect, though, um, that you equated them, and uh, can you describe that second aspect from the artist's or the, the author's point of view, and then we'll see if we can understand how that relates to business? In this case, uh, so the second... Uh uh, example was about customer, uh, and in, for the artist's point of view, for the writer's point of view, that's audience, that's readers, that's the mass. And boy, is that hard to figure out, especially you know for for a writer, because you know half of all the publishing industry is about figuring out what to get people to read and what they want to read. Um, you know, the most common or the most read genre of book is romance. Uh, but yeah. it's also uh, pilloried by the high society of, of fiction critics and whatnot, which is dumb. Uh, you know, Dickens was a populist. People loved to read him. <laughs> I like to think of uh, Stephen King as, a moder as the modern Dickens because he gets pilloried by the critics, but people love to read him, and he does well. He also is the most prolific. Ugh, so jealous of that. But yeah. the point is that, that he's, he's done well. Is <laughs> he's done okay for himself. He's a nice guy, too. Um, if, Do you think if, he'll listen to our podcast now? Uh, I mean, I think we should tag him in it at least. Oh, there we uh, go. Maybe he will. <laughs> That'll make um, it two listeners. That's actually a brilliant idea to, to generate yeah. audience. We should make our we should make our guests like throw out names of famous people. Yeah, just in you yeah, know, just so we can try to get them to listen. Donald Trump. <laughs> Donald Trump. There we go. Yeah, I don't think he'll oh. listen. Keep going. Keep going. Tag him in it too. No, uh, thanks. He'll uh, he'll he'll definitely think I'm fake news. But <laughs> um, <laughs> he'll ask Javanka to read it for him. Um, but no, so so the idea of audience acquisition, I think, is much better understood by the business side than it is by the artist side. I think I think artists very rarely understand 
their audiences unless they put time into thinking about it. And that this is a try-fail cycle that is, has so much risk in it. Because I know, personally, I have uh, written something and put it out there and gotten silence. Now, Crickets for that some silence, reason. Yeah, that silence might be because I did a poor job marketing it and nobody saw it. It might be because the only people who saw it are people who like me but didn't like it, and so they didn't say anything. It might be because it was, you know, it hit at the wrong time. It was perfectly good, but the sort of zeitgeist didn't care about it right now, and so there was no audience for it. Uh, and I don't actually know the answers to that in most cases. So that becomes this huge risk where now uh, some artists, not naming any names, uh, will go into a cycle in their head of, well, maybe I'm just garbage. That was the best I did at this one, and it's terrible <laughs> because <laughs> nobody's responding to it. There's no audience. Nobody likes it, blah, blah, blah. And so you sort of just have to get past that and go, okay, that one didn't work. Maybe I'll try something else. Maybe I'll try that again and do something different with it. Maybe I'll make it part of uh, this novel that I'm working on. Who knows? So are so, all authors and artists um, as um, self, not it wouldn't be self-effacing, self-flagellating, deprecating, flagellating, whatever, as you are? Or <laughs> are some of them like Mark where they just, they wear rose-colored glasses and have rose-colored mirrors in their homes? I have good lighting. <laughs> I hesitate to ever say all or none. <laughs> I generally don't like the uh, the uh, sort of uh, generalizing language for stuff like this. Yep. But in my experience, the the artists that I've liked to work with, that I've liked personally, are, uh, if not humble, realists about That's fair. what is real. The, the ones who believe the hype that you have to do where you say, you know, best in whatever, the ones who believe that are the ones who are mm, problematic because then they can't, they've, they've stepped outside of that try-fail cycle. They believe that they don't fail anymore. Well, and so they never improve. Well, how about so with Stephen King? So you don't have to speak from personal knowledge if you have it of him, and we can choose uh, what's the name of the woman who uh, Rowling's who's uh, written. J.K. Rowling. Yeah, uh, Rowling. Okay. Does somebody like that who seems and I'll go back to King because I think Rowling's done fewer of them, but King is has um, success after success after success in this genre that ah. is either good or bad. So has has he drunk his own Kool Aid? Um, and so he looks at himself in the mirror and will, says, the, the fairest of them all is looking at himself. Speak, yeah. I will not speak for Stephen King, but I will paraphrase his own words in his wonderful book on writing oh. that he wrote about writing. Oh. Uh, it's a wonderful book that he wrote uh, after he was in a terrible uh, crash. He'd been hit by a I remember this. Yeah, I do. Right. And was, yeah. After that, he wrote this wonderful book called On Writing about, about writing and about his process. Uh, he fails often. Uh, he has failed often in his life. He is, for his level of success, probably too humble. Hmm. Oh, really? um, huh. <laughs> and he, he seems to be, in every interview I've ever seen with him, and in the uh, couple of times that I've, that I've met him in passing only, I used to live up in Maine, so I met him a couple of times in passing. Um, very humble, very nice. Very, uh, 
honest about how hard it is for him, even though he's endlessly prolific and, and will write these giant, giant pieces of, of writing, even he will say that, you know, some of them aren't very good. He doesn't, now, he also has a, a long story with uh, uh, drug and alcohol addiction, so he doesn't remember writing some of his books at all. And he talks about that in his book. So, like, he's had, he's had a variety of try-fail cycles. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and so he understands failure very well. You should probably have him on the podcast. He'd be better at this. We need you to mention his uh, name a few more times so we can get enough audience to drag him in. That actually right, be right, kind of, right. yeah, I, if you know him, I, we'd, we'd love to love the referral, but I doubt if he'd waste his time on this, but yeah, but we could add it to our list. Of I don't failures. know him. I don't know him personally that way. So how about, all, how but, about mm-hmm. authors of, um, so this is the creative, uh, artist. Yeah, the, but here, here, I mean, oh. well, before, before you go on, David, That's so okay. Ken, when you, you got to lower your unibrow though. Yeah. I'm going to, well, he's I'm lowering trying, his unibrow. I, you know. I, I'm working on it. So, Ken, when 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 you talk about success or failure in writing, are you um, specifically writing for a particular audience, uh, or a particular? You know, when you said you failed, you know, you felt like you might have failed failed with a something you've written uh, or got crickets. Are you only writing one particular kind of piece? Are you only exploring, you know, scratching one particular itch in your creative output? Uh, no, I've uh, uh, written an extremely unsuccessful play uh, that <laughs> that was excellent uh, produced. Um, it was called it was Failure, the podcast, uh, and it was and it, it was not good uh, from my point of view. Now, certainly, at the time, I was very proud of it, uh, and and it was as good as I felt I could make it at the time. So, I guess it was not a failure creatively. But I now, looking back at it, uh, would never allow it to see the light of day. Um, it was, and the audience was it was it called was it called Springtime for Hitler in Germany? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that was, that was uh, far superior. I've Rob Reiner, right? Far Not, yeah, the, the producers. To my play, Mel Brooks. Which was called it was called Hours, and it was a uh, just so ham-fisted analogy. About mental health and the caring of houseplants. Oh, it was, it was brutal. It was, that would be it, like it was uh, really very very. It, bad. it sounds like a it sounds like a story about watching water boil. <laughs> yeah, be gentle. There's still yeah, an artist ego was, here. <laughs> okay. So so I wrote, I wrote that play that was put up and produced to uh, universal uh, uh, disclaim. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have uh, written and attempted, I have written and published uh, many poems and uh, self-published a uh, book of poems. And he pretends not to know them. That rhyme's not working, um, Dave. <laughs> Keep going, Ken. Ignore the asides. He likes these. I, I, I was, no, 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 you know. Keep trying. We're, we're, we're going to start doing <laughs> limericks soon. Don't worry. There once was a girl from <laughs> oh, Nantucket. Oh, I can do limericks. Oh, do limericks you? Limericks I enjoy. I once knew a man. <laughs> um, oh my god! But uh, so so poems are probably my most prolific in terms of uh, uh, volume, um, and probably where I've had the most success in terms of uh, publication. I've uh, completed a novel, 
and uh, attempted to shop it around, never to uh, to sell it, although someday maybe. And I'm working on others, because once something's finished, you shop it around and you see what you can do, but you keep writing something else. Right. You know, there's always another story to tell. Let me ask you something. Um, Oops. And go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay, so... No, no, after you. So now that... So it sounds like you're measuring success on the on the on the act of publication because there's a third party involved who's got to read edit provide feedback and decide whether this is good enough to go out, go out under their i want to say label but there's a correct term for books uh, monograph Im- it, it, label is fine okay um uh, imprint would be probably imprint, more imprint, specific, imprint, but who cares? Imprint. So let me ask um, you this. Going back to the so-called Internet of Failure, there's got to be a way to drive this sure. in. Oh. The, people can now self-publish. So does that has that now given rise to its own Internet of Failure? In other words, there's no... <laughs> Boy, there's... do I love the self-publishing market. And I will say this, because what self-publishing has done is take what the Internet did to commerce and retail and do it to books. Um, and, and more yeah. than the internet, what, what does he mean by that, Mark? eBay. Yeah. Well, okay. So where he's going with it, with it, with respect to eBay is you're creating a market between buyers and sellers that might be a, a pretty thinly populated market, but, um, you're able to put something out there. It's like being, it's like, it's the same thing as, as Uber. You're creating a marketplace between a buyer and a seller that it you know might be unique to this particular publication or this particular book that doesn't sound like what he means at all and what it's done (laughs) what it's done is is. make uh it's cut out the gatekeepers which were the the publishing houses to some extent although that's sort sort of starting to change thanks to amazon who's made itself the gatekeeper but that aside um the it, it cut out the gatekeepers to some extent it also cut out the sort of arbitrary uh, measure of quality. So you, you can publish, self-publish anything you want. It's on you to market it and make it financially successful. But nobody often, now the smart self-publishers have editors and hire them and work with other people because they know that a book is a collaboration once it finally is ready for publication. But many don't. And so you end up with a lot of what I would call mm, trash fires. Terrible garbage, uh, where there's there's they're not edited. There's no art direction. All the things that make a book a pleasure to read don't happen for any number of reasons. Mainly because they don't know they're supposed to. I would expect happen, and so they say, "I've written this story and I'm putting it out there, and that is spectacular, and I love that." Unfortunately, there's it's very hard to then say. Well, if Salman Rushdie had said, I've written this book and put it out there, when he wrote whatever he's written that's amazing, Satanic Verses, whatever. Right. Um, uh, and uh, let's see, who's a terrible writer that I don't mind calling out? E.L. James. Uh, <laughs> E.L. James is uh, just barely a writer. Um, <laughs> is that the Fifty Shades uh, of Purple or Gray? Is that who wrote that? Gray at Fifty Shades of Plagiarism, yes. Um, oh, is that right? <laughs> I, tried, I tried to read it once and uh, uh, nearly didn't make it all the way through. I gather it's quite popular, though. Every, every oh, yes. mommy and that's, read it for, you know, about three months. 
There was like a three and month. That's only because they didn't know that there were better things to read in the same genre that would have been better. So I, I would have my reading list. Ken, that's true. I would have thought <laughs> but, um, you were going to argue. I would have thought that you were going to argue that the Internet of Failure, which is which I'm now using as a label for the self-publishing yeah. industry, actually draw mm -hmm. drew people back to the imprints. Uh, or the publishing houses, because they began to realize the value of curation. And now you're correct that that curation comes with a value judgment. But the flip side is I one... I think it did the opposite. I, uh, my argument is the opposite. My argument is that what it did was it said, oh, these publishing houses are claiming to be curators, but they're not. They're marketing engines. They don't know what's good. They know what they can sell. Right. And so what the marketplace has done is said, I don't care what the publishing houses want me to read. What I care about is what other readers want me to read. Well, so, so wait a minute. Like good reads. So wait a minute. Wait a and minute. And you get tools. Here's, yeah, yeah. Here's an example. Um, I cook. Sure. I cook, and I have a choice of going for recipes to um, well-known books written by well-known authors under well-known, I think they're called imprints. Or I have a yeah. choice of doing um, um, what others do, which is going to the internet and just picking off a recipe that that has the appropriate title and it seems like it's about right. And I found uh -huh. that that going to a cookbook is a much more reliable way to get a recipe that will work and taste reasonable. Going to the internet's a, yeah. a, not always a recipe for failure, but um, certainly gets me there more. I closely. don't think that's a good analogy. I think. Uh, here's the analogy I would use using Ken as the example. Ken, in his professional life, in his day job, speaks publicly quite a bit, that, you know, all these conferences, all that stuff, and has developed a following. Ken could, you know, presumably at the next internet, you know, IoT evolution or whatever event, say, by the way, folks, I've written a book, and you can go on my website, kenbriota.com, and, you know, he could develop his own cult following, and he could self-publish in that in that setting, and this is the point I'm driving to, Ken could consider that a success or a non-failure uh, because he, he would have developed his own audience who like him, who know him, who are just consuming this for whatever reason. They like Ken, they like his personality, they like his voice. So that's where I think the self-publishing thing could be kind of useful. But you, right. you're not going to sell a million books, but if you sold a thousand books... Well, that's that the, be that bad. okay. I'll argue that's the that's the author, that's the creator as creator and curator. In that case, um, there's an author, Ken, who's a creator, right? That has also, through perseverance, some talent or a lot of talent and good amount of marketing or luck, um, established himself as sort of an imprint of his own, and that would be one high point of the Internet of Failure. Um, that is the self-publishing you know, industry. Not, the term is not going to stick because I hate the. You the, hate the, it. I hate the prefix <laughs> "internet of anything." Okay, but internet uh, of but, X. But my point is that there is a whole lot of it. Take this podcast for example. This podcast is just yet another creation by. It's barely curated. It's created, certainly. Yes, I've it's heard out them. there. <laughs> it's barely, yeah, you've heard them. But that's my point, which is we're just out there as part of the noise and. Um, the question is, would there, if we were to be um, bought up or taken up by a real, 
like uh, not PRI, but a real podcast um, organization. Podcast group, sure. Yeah. Podcast group, whatever they are. If there's that one that just bought whatever you Anchor so, they bought. Anchor, okay, right, for a billion dollars. Um, we, we would sell for half that. Yeah, so my there's value to the consumer, and and so taking this to other realms. I'm sorry to finish the thought. There's value to the consumer of having those gatekeepers to the marketplace, and to take that thought further, I'm listening these days to Autumn A U D M, and what I like about that, which is this multiple levels of curation, they have curated from among all, you know 50 major magazines that I might buy. Um, they've taken two or three articles at most a day and provided ones that I happen to like to listen to in the car, and then they turn them into audio. So I'll argue there's a lot of value to multiple layers, at least one, of curation. curation. And that Ken's existence in the marketplace is, if you're lucky enough to come across him, that's almost a random event. Yeah, but uh, again, we're talking about failure. So, you know, again, Ken could be writing these, these little jewels of a poem, and I'm assuming he is, you know, and he's talking about like when do you, you know, when do you think that's a fail? When 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 is it a success, or when when do you decide that it's a failure? I think his measure was. Well, was I think it, go on, Ken. I won't speak well, for you. Well, I, I I do want to amend that because I don't think there's one measure of success or failure. Certainly, commercial success is a measure of success or failure. You know, would I would I happily. Uh, be a best-selling author uh, six or eight times and and make my whole living at you know writing uh, writing my stories. Sure, that'd be that'd be a nice measure of, of success. But also, I'd like my my stories to matter to someone, and that might come with no financial success. You know, if, uh, I over the course of several years told uh, a long story to my daughters about a you know a, a girl who went on adventures. They loved that story. They reference it still. I consider that story to be a success. Probably never makes me any money. Um, but that's a successful story. You know, meanwhile, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Critical Role. They're, uh, uh, they've just had the most successful film and television Kickstarter in history. Uh, and Mark's unibrow uh, and is up again. A, what are you talking about? They're a about? Dungeons and Dragons group. That play on Twitch live. Um, there are a bunch of voice actors who are very, very good at that, and also very good at playing Dungeons and Dragons. And so they've been playing uh, for about five years on Twitch. They've just raised eleven and a half million dollars on Kickstarter for a ten-episode animated series featuring the characters they created on in D and D. So what the hell are we doing wrong here? Gentlemen, we are they complete failures. We are. That's we are complete failures that we're not doing that. Well, that they've got a they've <laughs> right? got a lot of knowledge. That's you a skill set. They they beat out MST3K for the highest film and television. Uh, Joel Hodgson came to their their uh, after party to celebrate the the Kickstarter. Mark doesn't so know who that is. Mark does not know who Joel uh, Hodson is. By, by, by the, way, the way, David uses that technique because he doesn't know who that is. So he throws it on me. He is, he is one of the creators of uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 who previously held that record. And Mark doesn't know what that is either. <laughs> <laughs> See, they, for, they also own Rift Track, ah. um, which is all super nerdy stuff, but uh, nerds like Kickstarter. So that's how that works. There you go. We are, we are all in the wrong business. 
you know, all these I years, mean, Dave, if somebody's Dave, willing to finance me on a D and D game. I'm in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now we have to come up with our own. I know my, my almost 17 year old son would like to be financed to play Fortnite all day because he's doing it anyway. <laughs> Listen, he is being financed. Uh, there is a, a really huge esports market, so it's not impossible. He's being financed. He's at your house. Yes. My yes. My academic advisor and one of my mentors in college in writing, uh, she was a, bril- a brilliant woman uh, in an early one. Like, might have been creative writing 101. There was 30 of us in the class. There, uh, were. She, there were. She said to all of us, you know, how many of you would like to be uh, successful writers of the level of, say, uh, Stephen King, because he was the local guy. Everybody, of course, puts their hands up. She says, okay, how many of you believe that you could go play for the NBA tomorrow and make Kobe's salary? It wasn't Kobe. I forget who she said at the time. Kobe wasn't playing basketball yet. But, um, <laughs> and, and make that you know, peak salary. Of course, nobody raises their hands because we're a bunch of writers. We don't have any athletic ability. Um, and uh, um, she said, okay, understand this. Your chances of doing the latter are about quadruple your chances of doing the former, statistically. Right. No one, no one, no one succeeds financially the way Stephen King has or J.K. Rowling has. Uh, who is more successful than Stephen King on fewer books. So I guess, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so by being a writer, I have, I have sort of bought into failure. That is part of the deal. Okay, um, <laughs> so what that translates to is that to, in order to satisfy, sort of scratch the itch you have, which is to write because you like expressing yourself that way, You've come to understand that success is, I mean, sorry, that failure is through partially fault of your own, through partially the fault of the marketplace, just the natural state of things, and that uh, some of your works, uh, a minority of them likely, actually uh, rise above the din and are successes, uh, at least in your mind or, and or I guess in your mind and or that of your audience. And that's just mm-hmm. the life of a writer. That's the life of creative work. And I think that's probably also the life of uh, an entrepreneur to some extent. You know, uh, how, many, how many times does an entrepreneur fail before they, you know, uh, consider themselves to have been successful? What is that success? Is that selling to, you know, Google or Amazon? Is that, you know, building to the point where they don't need to sell to do their next venture? Who knows? But how many of their ventures actually become successes? I would say not many. Right, and I guess that's it. The, um, the, one of the big differences there is how long does it take you to write a standard uh, poem, whether it succeeds or fails, or a book? Is it on the order of uh, half a year, a quarter of a year? I, I think I think in a, a, a Pretty standard novel you could write in six months if you're not doing it full time. Okay, and uh, to have a venture fail, uh, you know, a venture, it's six months would, I guess it could fail in six months, but anything sizable is going to take longer than that. Yeah, you'll know south of a year, I think, that, you know, uh, 10 months into it, whether or not someone's willing to write you a check. Oh, 
Well, that uh, that to me, I was going to say the timetables are uh, way different than that. Six months, I was going to say, for the people that we run into who walk through the office, they've been at this for in their basement a few yeah, years. Yeah, but that's that's before they kind of took the took the wraps off of it to uh, um, actually start raising money. I'll still argue that's that, just part of it's the early part of the gestational I, cycle. I'd still argue that with anything creative that's digital or pen and paper the cycles are much faster so you'd expect at least um, well i'd say i'd say the the first draft cycle is probably faster once you're into editing i would say your average cycle on a mass market book is closer to two years okay before from from first putting keyboard to uh to finger to keyboard finger to keyboard yeah (laughs) okay so uh I would say you're at about two years then from uh, beginning to end of uh, of putting the book out. So would you consider it a failure if we forgot to hit the record button? Uh, no, because then we'd have a second chance to do all this, and it'd probably be better. Oh, darn. We didn't get him on we, that one. We've done that. that. Dave's we, done that we, yeah. in the past, although not this time. <laughs> we were expecting more of a rise out of you on that. Um, he was probably Oh, well. no. He's a, he does podcasts on his own, so oh, really? he, he knows that sometimes you just really fail. You just goof yeah. up, although his podcasts are very sometimes. slick. Let's ask Sometimes you pretend to fail because the episode was awful, and you're like, oh, man, I just didn't get that recording, and you don't want somebody to feel bad. Exactly. So you want to, <laughs> let's talk shop for a minute. On the, on, we'll make this quick. Um, just quick, you do, uh, you do your own podcast. What's it called? Uh, I do IoT Time, uh, which is all about the IoT. And how do you, um, we won't spend too long on this because it's definitely an inside baseball thing, but I was, at, I was with somebody the other day whom I did not know who um, started asking how the podcast was done, and I spent two or three minutes on it and it seemed to Very satisfy. carefully. <laughs> yeah. So like, how do you just quickly, do you record it um, off the phone? Do you try to get people in person? I typically, I typically record off the phone, although uh, when I'm doing live uh, recordings, I will use a... a my mic- uh, microphone and my phone, but uh, usually it's a phone call, and uh, I record directly into um, uh, phone recording software. Yep. Then I pull those. Then I pull those files out and I edit in Audacity. Oh yeah. Which is a yep a free sound yep. editor because I am at best a mediocre sound editor, so that's simple and does a lot of it automatically for me. And okay. then I further run it through an, uh, another program that. Uh, Levels it for me. Which one? The, Not Levelator. Which one do you use? Uh, uh, Levelator, yeah. Oh, you're still able to get Levelator to run? I thought that stopped running like 20 years ago. Not 20 years ago, but 10 years ago. You've. Oh, you've... no. I've still got it going. Okay, good for uh, you. They, on a win- they, on... Maybe put out a, they maybe put out a new, uh, a new version since you uh, looked at it. But, uh, yeah, Levelator is what I use, and it works really well. Um, and then... Uh, then I host it on SoundCloud, and that's it. Okay, so just to compare notes quickly here for the, um, the, the half a listener we have left as, as he or she runs out of the room. Um, we're <laughs> try, we try to record them all um, in person and live um, onto separate mics going into a Zoom recorder. So you could argue it's overkill, but it's nice, it's nice having separate channels. And then lately, I've gone through different, uh, early on when Mark and I did our first series, I used not Audacity, oh, but the, the Adobe product with the name of which starts with an A, Audition, um, Escape, oh, yeah. 
And more recently, with this current series, I started by using uh, something on an iPad called Aurial, A-U-R-I-A-L, which was really for music, so it had multiple channels, but no loudness, um, which is what Levelator does for you. And I've now discovered, um, and I was trying to mark and trying to talk Mark into using this. Um, it's something called uh, Hindenburg. So the four channels, or in this case three channels, that come out of this recording, um, will go onto my Mac and through Hindenburg, which is pretty easy for um, bringing them all together, chopping them up simultaneously, and importantly, in the end, doing that leveling function. Right, right. Oh, that's cool. I've never heard of Hindenburg. I'll have well, to uh, take a look at it. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's uh, If you go to their site, Hindenburg.com, you'll realize if you listen to, they have samples that they've published, you begin to realize, not that we've ever pulled this off here just because of the, the, poor, the poor product that we're starting with, um, um, you'll realize that their stuff is sort of NPR-ish quality. That is, it's intended to make it easy to put together those NPR stories that you hear. Um, uh, so yeah. anyway, okay, we'd enough of that. So let's, uh, Mark, Mark's uh, unibrow's back up. So let's thank Ken. Uh, I think this, this actually turned out to be, in my opinion, what little that's worth, yeah, a, really. a pretty interesting well. podcast. So the Internet of Failure, Internet of failure. which is a term I continue to hate, yeah, of course. just like I hate the Internet of I, Things. I, I would like to propose a, a different choice of term. Well, what would Instead that be? Of Internet of Failure. Let's let's try something else. Let's try uh, uh, failure of the internet. C- cycle of failure. Forget the internet. Oh, only. it's a cycle of failure because well, that, that's a different thing. Because failure is only useful in that it forces you to learn something and try it differently. So you you cycle through a failure and into uh, another attempt. No, no, so, so I, I, I... Yeah, go ahead. Con- continue. I was just going to say, so I feel like that's a more useful term and, uh, and doesn't lean on the internet while still sounding like a, a cycling CPU. I, I, I don't just... Dis- have a terrible pun. I don't disagree that cycle of failure is a lot of what we've talked about today as pertains to artists and uh, entrepreneurs. Um, but I'll, what I was bringing out on the internet of failure is that goes more to self-publishing, that when you make it possible for um, the two of us to put um, garbage up on the internet, you know, in, in this case, this podcast, um, and for self-publishers and, and uh, musicians and everyone else to put things out up with no curation by one of the natural forces of the marketplace, a publishing company, a record label, etc., you really do get an internet of failure because failure is the natural level uh, is the natural state of things. Most creative works tend to be bad, um, and so you do have an internet of failure. Mark, bring us to a close quickly before Ken has a chance to think about that. Don't think about it, Ken. I just <laughs> I want to thank you again for the uh, cycle of failure that we just participated in, and I'd like to thank you for the internet of failure. Thank and, you, Ken. And, uh, Ken I'd we'll, like to thank you both. Yes, and we'll be in touch soon. <laughs> we'll uh, send you the link for this. All right. Bye-bye. Sounds Bye. great. Thanks a lot. Bye, Ken. It was really fun. Yeah, thanks again. Bye.